The new Indiana Bible College album, At the Cross, will be available April 11th, 2018. Welcome back to the Indiana Bible College podcast, where every Tuesday and Thursday, it's our goal to bring you an apostolic sermon. Today we have Brother Logan Craner preaching a message in chapel entitled, Boomerangs and Compromise. Indiana Bible College, training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today. Thank you, George, and for those, those kind words. Uh, I hope I can live up to that. And we do have a mutual toleration. He deals with my clutter and, and everything, and we've been able to keep a great friendship, and I'm, I'm very thankful for that. Um, I'll go ahead and jump right into Scripture. If you can turn to 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 10 and 11, and also 2 Timothy 4 and 10. I'd be remiss if I didn't say thank you, Ridge, for delivering your heart. That took an incredible amount of courage to, to share your heart and your testimony. Uh, while you're turning there, I want to give some honor where honor is due uh, to Pastor Mooney for uh, his vision and his leadership. And if it wasn't for him, we probably wouldn't be here learning to, to, to develop a craft and a burden and a calling. Also to Brother Galleon, Rich said it, greatest student pastor in the history of uh, campus pastors. Let's give him a hand. Also to our uh, phenomenal student council, Charlie, Becca, George, and thank you guys so much for your example. And I'd be remiss if I didn't thank my parents, who actually came up and surprised me today, my mom and my dad. Uh, whenever I go home and I, I get back into the dorms, used to, my friends would greet me and say, and welcome back. But now it's, man, what did your mom bring us? Man, what dessert did your mom cook us? Man, she's just a great cook. So you have a fan club here, mom. And, and to my dad and to my pastor, uh, I'm thankful for your leadership. If I could just be half the man that you are, I will have accomplished something great in my life. I'm thankful for my pastor. Amen. I'm going to preach a little bit today, something that's been on my heart, and I, I just can't get away, with, away from it. I was at a Starbucks with George and Charlie, and I remember just researching this topic, and then something just kind of hit us, and the Holy Ghost started to move at Starbucks of all places. No, no coincidence, it's a coffee shop. God loves coffee, I think, but it just has stuck with me. And Ridge's last few statements in the last few minutes of Brother Mooney's class today have just confirmed it, and I, I hope I can convey it uh, how, how I need to. 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 10 and 11 read, And King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest the fashion of the altar and the pattern of it, according to the workmanship thereof. And Uriah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. And as you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, I just want us to draw from that, that passage in 2 Kings. Ahaz was not a good king. He was a horrible king. He did, a, he did horrible things in the sight of the Lord, and he just was not a good king. But Ahaz had something going for him. He had the altar of God, and he had the example of King David. He had something that he could have fallen back to, and he had something that he could have reverted to to change the situation, Brother Galleon. He had those two things, but he was drawn to an altar in the world. And finally, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10 reads, For Demas hath forsaken me, loving this present world. Today, with the help of the Lord, I'm going to preach to you on this topic, boomerangs and compromise. Can we pray that God will touch our hearts and move today? 
Lord, I love you. I worship you. I thank you, God, so much for this opportunity, God, to gather. Lord, I pray that you will touch us. God, I pray that you will anoint your vessel, God. I pray that I be used for your glory and not my own. God, I pray that above all that your presence would move and you would touch our hearts and minds. Touch us, I pray. Provide for us, I pray. In your mighty name, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Say amen, and you may be seated. When I was in elementary school, I took a field trip to a place called Kentucky Down Under. Fun fact about the state of Kentucky, we're known for our racehorses, but we also have a kangaroo population. It's been a good day. You've already learned something new, Brother Galley. Kentucky has kangaroos. Kentucky Down Under was the place that we were going to go. We were going to learn about some Australian culture. Charlie, I know you're called to that region. Maybe it's that part of Kentucky, praying that you end up there, maybe. But we, we took a field trip there, and, and after seeing the kangaroos and, and learning a little bit about the culture, we, they gave us a little demonstration. They had a man that was stand there, and he, he had a boomerang. And it was the coolest thing in the world to an elementary school kid that, that this guy could take something and that he could throw it and then give it a few seconds and it, it would go out a few hundred feet, but then it would start to turn back around and it would start to come back and it, he would catch it. It was the coolest thing ever, Brother Galleon. And so he, he showed us how to do it. He showed us the right form. He, he showed us how to stand and how to, how to throw it. And, and everybody went through, and it was finally my turn. And I get up there, and I go, and I throw it, and it goes, and it goes, and it dies right on the hill. It didn't come back. I'll just be honest, it wasn't a perfect throw, but he showed me a little more, and he taught me a little bit more, and by the time I was finished, I was a semi-pro, I think. I could get that thing to come back, and I had to run a few feet to catch it, but it would start to come back, and I was so enamored with it. It was a phenomenal boomerang. The, the craftsmanship, it was handmade. The, the wood grain, the stain on it, it was, it was cut. It was made with care, and I, I wanted one. I was going to be the coolest kid in Bowling Green, Kentucky, because I had a boomerang. It's amazing how the mind thinks as a kid, isn't it? That was going to make me cool, but it turns out not to be the case. But, so I go to the store, and I see a boomerang, and, and I, I buy it. I pick it up, and, and it feels a little bit different, but I, I didn't really care because it was red and it was black, and I, I still have the boomerang somewhere. I don't know where it is right now, but I, I, I picked it up, and when I got home, I went to the backyard, and I was ready. I was going to do what that guy did. I was going to throw it, and it was going to come back, and I was just going to be awesome. That's how, I, that's how it went in my mind until I, I reared back and I threw the boomerang, and to this day, I'm still waiting for it to come back. That thing did not work. I tried four or five times, and it just wouldn't work, and I got so frustrated that I just said, forget it. You know, this, this boomerang's stupid. I, I, I'm not going to go to Australia. I'm not going to show off my boomerang skills. I'm just going to put this where it belongs on the counter. It's going to remind me of my field trip. It took me a little bit to figure it out, and, uh, but the boomerang wasn't like that man's, Alex. It wasn't handcrafted. The boomerang that I bought was made for appeal. The boomerang that I bought was a mass-produced replica that they just wanted to hand kids to get their product brand out there. It wasn't really meant to, to come back. You weren't supposed to throw it and it to come back. You were supposed to look at it and be reminded of the place and come back and bring your friends and bring your cash. That sounds a little facetious, but, you know, looking back, I'm kind of bitter they sold me something that didn't work. I'm praying about it. But in retrospect, and let's get a word out here, compromise. We, we all know what compromise means. There's a few definitions, but uh, the two main definitions are to give up something you want and somebody else will give up something they want, and you reach a compromise, you reach an agreement. But one definition that really stood out to me was to lower or weaken standards. 
You take something and you compromise the integrity of the design like they did my boomerang, and it, it doesn't come back. Now, in retrospect, that's funny, and that's an illustration, but it doesn't really matter. My life wasn't affected because that boomerang doesn't come back. Nobody's life is affected because that's not something that, if compromised, is going to hurt you or I. But there are some things, some greater designs, some grander plans that if are compromised, they can affect us and every single person around us. I'm thankful for a God that in the beginning created. He made everything. It was perfect. It was flawless. His design was intentional. The psalmist David said, as for God, his ways are perfect. The way, the Lord is, the way of the Lord is tried is a buckler to all those that trust him. His ways are perfect. His ways are higher than ours, as Ridge said. And his ways don't need added to or taken away from. They just need to be obeyed. They're specific, intentional. They're going to work out for our good if we follow them. And, and time and time again throughout the Bible, we can see it. Just a few of the things that God designed is the institution of marriage. He designed it for a man and a woman for life. The happiness that can come from that. The way that he designed the interaction between fathers and sons and mothers and sons and daughters is, is perfect. His plan is perfect. Let's go a little bit further, a little bit more serious. His plan for holiness, how to follow it and live an overcoming lifestyle is perfect. His plan for salvation is unchanging and is perfect and if followed can get us to heaven. But something happens when unholy hands are put on the ways of a holy God. When me and you put our hands on the ways of God and the methods of God, they're never strengthened, but they're compromised and they're made weaker. Jesus says in Matthew, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but ye have made it into a den of thieves. You see, men took something of God and changed it and it didn't work out. We don't have to look very far to see the effects of man's hands being put on a holy God's processes. Look around. Almost every single marriage ends in divorce, more so than not. Children that will never see their fathers or know the love of a dad are rampant and everywhere. Broken homes, a broken society, all because men lay our hands on the things God intended. We look at love the way that God intended it. It's perfect. It's flawless. But now it's a banter and a cry for homosexuality. All because man want to inject our philosophy into it. People aren't looking for a boomerang that doesn't come back. People aren't looking for something that's cheap but that looks cool so they can say, listen, I go to church. Look how cool I am. I go to this church with fancy lights. They're not looking for something that they throw and doesn't come back. They're looking for church, a truth that when it's lived out, there is power. There is deliverance. They don't want bright lights in a show. People are hungry for something. They're longing for something. How about we give it to them? Because guess what, Alex? We've got the only message. We've got the only thing that if we live out and they obey can bring bring salvation. If they follow holiness, biblical holiness, they overcome a worldly lifestyle and salvation that can only come from this book right here. We've got the name, we've got the message, and we've got his spirit living inside of us. We need to change our world and turn it upside down. And there's a few things they need to know, and I've already hit on it, and I, I, I don't want to go back over it. I'm not trying to get you hyped up or anything like that, but there's a few things that we're kind of wavering on a little bit. Heaven or hell, there's only two options. You're going to go one place or the other. There's no, there's no third option that you can just live a little good life and go to. 
Your, your soul is going to spend an eternity somewhere. It's either going to be with God or it's going to be in hell. So people need to know that, but they also need to know how to get to heaven. They also, they need to know that there's only one way, and that's very clear in the Bible. You have to repent. You have to be baptized in the name of Jesus, and you have to receive the Holy Ghost. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Jesus himself says, verily, verily, unless a man be born again of water and of spirit. You're not even going to enter it. You can't even see it, Georgian. But why do we think that we can cut it? Why do we think we can compromise the boomerang, so to speak, to where it meets our needs so that we can sell it and that we can get what we want? God is very clear in his designs. His ways are higher than our ways. Why don't we just preach it as it is? They need to know that they can live an overcoming lifestyle, that the brokenness of this world isn't normal. It's not intended. We weren't supposed to live captive and slaves to freedom. Because there's a God who died on a cross for our sins and gave us the power to live an overcoming lifestyle. Thank you, Natalie, for singing about how powerful our God is. You have won the victory. People need to know that, but they also need to know they can live it. And they can win a victorious lifestyle by holiness. Oh, come on. Somebody receive this. Preacher, preach holiness. Teachers, teach holiness. Singers, put it in your songs. Live a holy example, a holy lifestyle so that people can see it and imitate it. If you don't want a holy church, don't preach holiness. But don't be surprised if the church isn't holy. Preach what you want. Sing what you want to see. But make sure it's God's definition of holiness and not our own. Because I'll interject my own theology into something to suit my needs. I'll do it to suit my needs, but guess what? If I do that to the processes of a holy God, there's no power. There's no power in the gospel according to Logan. There's no power in the name of Logan. There's only power in one name. And there's only power in one message. We can't afford to stay silent today. We can't afford as bad as the world's getting, and I'm in hope that there's a great revival. Churches are seeing fantastic services, and people are receiving the Holy Ghost. But today, we can't be silent. It doesn't matter what your major is. It doesn't matter what your minor is or what your calling is. You cannot afford to be silent because Romans says that how shall they hear without a preacher? If you're thankful that God has given us a message that's proven, can we just give him a little bit of praise right now? Thank you, Jesus, for your ways. Thank you, Jesus, for your promises. I'm thankful. I'm thankful it's not on me. All I have to do is obey. All I have to do is obey and preach the word. I don't ever want us to feel bad about preaching this. I don't ever want to be ashamed of preaching Acts 2.38. I don't ever want to be ashamed of, uh, of telling people they have to live a holy lifestyle. I don't feel like we should think that, man, i got to preach holiness today. Man, I, I, I don't want to preach Acts 2.38. I don't want to preach about the cross. People don't want to hear it. Why wouldn't they want to hear it? There's salvation. There's peace. There's blessings in it. And guess what? If we live it, we get those blessings too. Holiness has never failed me until I failed holiness. Looking back at my life, when I was at my lowest point, when I was at my, the point of brokenness in my life, it wasn't because God decided to change it up and throw a curveball at me. It's because I thought that I could live my way. But when I cried out and God touched me and I went back and I, I started living a covenant lifestyle, a holy lifestyle, God did not fail me. He's not going to fail any person in this place. 
Ridge said it right. Look to the person to the left and look to the person in the right. Ridge, I, 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 was gonna try to, I wasn't going to try to beat around the bush, but you said it so strong, and I'm going to repeat it. I don't want anybody in this place to backslide, but the statistics of every single class before us play out to what Brother Mazdam said. Think about that. The person on your left, Luke, the person on your right, one of you in 5, 10, 15 years is no longer going to be in this. God forbid they're preaching another message. Maybe this is just me. If you don't like it, it's okay. But if you're going to backslide, just backslide and walk away. Don't backslide and preach another message that's going to drag other people to hell with you. Have a little reverence for the Word of God. I don't care if you want to walk away, but don't take others with you. I don't say it as an I don't care about your soul, but if you've compromised and you've made up in your mind that I'm more in love with my calling and preaching than I am preaching truth, there's an issue right there. Oh, I'm going to stay here just a little bit. I can't fall so in love with preaching that I forget what I'm called to preach. I can't fall so in love with solos and singing that I forget it's about the anointing because we're called to something higher. We're not called just to preach in AYC, general conference. I'm not called to sing on a stage. I'm called to preach a message. I'm called to do what God has told me to do, his message and not my own. Give him a little praise real quick. Hallelujah, Jesus. You may be seated. So if we believe that, if we believe this is the message and that we've got the truth, and the truth won't fail us, and we've got a call from God, then why five, ten years from now, why, why do we see people backslide and compromise? Why do we see people go from a proven method, something that returns and something that works, to something that they want? Is it overnight? Do you just wake up and say, oh, you know, uh, Trinity, sounds good, let's, let's preach it. No, 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 that's not how it works. I've never seen anybody overnight just randomly decide that they want to not serve God anymore. It's always been a process. There's a song by a, a music group that says it's a slow fade. When you give yourself away, it's a slow fade when black and white are turned to gray, and that's exactly it. It's a process. We read about Demas, and I think to fully kind of grasp what I'm trying to get at, I hope I'm not rambling. I'm going to try to get somewhere, but there's just this thought that has hit me, and I think we need to look at Demas and his life. Because Demas had it made. Demas is, is kind of where we want to be, in a sense, in the fact that he was in ministry. He was ministering with the Apostle Paul, walking side by side him, no doubt probably preaching, no doubt Paul was pouring into his life. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul? I'm thankful for our teachers, but I probably am going to choose Paul rather than, you know, I'm going to pick the guy that wrote the book. You know, he's just that, that, that amazing of a, a man of God, probably the greatest apostle. Demas walked with him. He ate with him. He fellowshiped with him. He did all these things, but eventually... I can hear the voice of Paul probably trembling in pain. Demas hath forsaken me. Loving this present world. Loving this current world. Somewhere a flip switched and Demas went from loving truth, loving God, loving the message to loving the world and walking away. But how does it happen? My question for us today is, how did he know he loved the world and when did it change? 
I can't get away from that. I've heard that verse so many times, but how did he know that he loved the world, Brother Gallion? How did he know what the world was, let alone that he loved the world? How did he love the things of the world unless he knew the things of the world? Here's a silly illustration, but it's good. Brother Galleon, when you married Sister Galleon, you probably didn't just see her think, we're going to get married, we're going to be married for 20 years, we're going to have a few kids just by seeing her. You might have, but for this illustration, we're going to say you didn't. But he knew through spending time with her, through getting to know her, to seeing her heart, to seeing what she believed in and the values, it was a time process. It was something that happened by, by, by experience and by putting in some time and just and getting to know her. And that's, I think, how Demas decided that he loved the world as he went from seeing the world and when he should have looked up and, and started praying, he looked again and his, his gaze was captured. And then he started to think about what he was seeing. And then he kept thinking about it until the world wasn't something that was distant that he preached against, but it was a friend of his and until he loved it. The story of Samson is, is truly tragic because of the, this one verse gets me. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily. She pressed him daily. She pressed him daily. She pressed him daily, time and time again, trying to get him to give the secret to his strength. With her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death that he told her all of his heart. Think about that. Think about that. The judge of Israel who was called to deliver his people, who did mighty acts, who did great things, killed thousands of men with the jawbone of a donkey and carried gates for 30 miles. He ends up binded, blinded, and being made fun of in sport at a grindstone at the end of his life. How did he get to that point? One day did he wake up and say, you know what, God, I, I want the Philistines to overtake me. Or was it a process? Samson prayed, it's recorded, two prayers in his entire ministry, the 20 years that he was there. He called on the name of the Lord for some water after he did something miraculous and mighty, and he called on the name of the Lord to help move the pillars and to do his final victory. Samson also visited at least two harlots. He spent more time with the things of the world and the attraction and the wickedness of the world that he did on his knees praying to an almighty God. Is it any doubt that after she pressed him daily that eventually he said, listen, I can't do this anymore. My relationship with Delilah is greater than my relationship with God. And he gets to the point where he gave up his calling. Come on, somebody. He got to the point where he walked away to the point where I'm going to go pursue a secular career rather than do what God, God has called me. His heart was vexed to the point where he gave it up. And we know how that story ends. Demas in the same vein. Praying with the Apostle Paul. Fasting with him. Prayer meetings and, and preaching, no doubt. I've already said it, but he looked at the world and when he should have looked back, he kept knowing and he kept going. It's a slow fade, but it is a sure fade. In our lives, my biggest fear is that we'll backslide. I, I, I don't, I don't want to walk away from this. I, as somebody once said it, that they pray, God, I pray that you would take me before I walk away. What a prayer. What a harsh prayer, but a true reality. Because once you leave this relationship with God, there's just a hole in your side that no amount of carnality can fill. There's a hole once you've been exposed to the Holy Ghost that nothing in this world can fill. It's a slow fade. 
and it only gets harder. Brother Sargent hit on this, and it really kind of hit me. It's easy to live for God right now. We're in a Bible college, for goodness sakes. I've got 200-plus people that, 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 that speak in tongues, that are at prayer meetings, that, that we fast together, that we go to church five and six times a week. It's easy right now. It's easy to get excited about holiness when I'm preaching. It's easy to preach about holiness because I know you'll get excited about it. Not to hype you up or anything, but we have a love for it. But what about when we get to the real world? What about when we go to a home missions church that there's five people and the people that are paying the tithes that keep the church going want you to compromise? Are you going to stand strong and trust that God's going to send people to provide? Or are we going to compromise and we're going to break off and chip away at the very word of God? What's going to happen when we go back to youth groups with five or six people that it's not the cool thing to preach about Acts 2.38? They don't respond. They want lights. They want shows. They want videos. And that's all they want. What are we going to do? Compromise's greatest promise is also its greatest lie. Just this one time. Just this one time. Just this one aspect of your walk with God. Just, just this holiness bit. And not even all of holiness. Just hair. Just skirts. Just, just this part. You can still be holy inward, but outward it doesn't even matter. Oh, that, that's a lie from the devil because that's how compromise works is one step at a time. One little thing at a time. And Ahaz, I'm sure, probably didn't think that anything would come of, of choosing another altar. Ahaz didn't think that, you know, I, I'm going to pick this altar. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he thought that if we sacrifice on this, the people will get excited. They'll turn back to God and we'll, we'll get victory over our enemies. But his problem was he compromised one too many times. And it didn't end up well for him. For 2 Chronicles Chapter 28, 22 through 25 reads like this. In the time of his distress did he trespass yet more against the Lord. This is that of King Ahaz. For he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him. And he said, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, therefore will I sacrifice unto them that they may help me. He went from just changing up the altar and still sacrificing to God to sacrificing to the gods of the enemy. Think about it. How do you go so far? It's by one step in the wrong direction. And I wish it stopped there, but it didn't. Those idols that he sacrificed to, but they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. It doesn't just affect you. You've got influence. You've got people that are watching your every move. And if you take one step away, they're going to take it as an endorsement. And they're going to live like that too. That same song I reference says, it's the, little feet it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow. It's the example that we set that can either elevate somebody or it can ruin it. And verse 24 says, And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God and shut up the doors to the house of God of the Lord, and he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem. You go from just being attracted to what the world has to offer to completely shutting the house of God and giving it no place in your life. None of us are above this. None of us are impervious to the attacks of the devil. None of us are impervious to sin. But it all starts by seeing it. He noticed the Damascus altar because he was looking for something else. Music, if you would come and you would please stand, please. In a moment, we're going to open up these altars, and 
I, I, I think that today it would just be appropriate that we pray and ask for some renewed passion and some strength and maybe a sense of urgency that says, I'm going to fight for God stronger than ever before. Because guess what? In a few hours, 150 connectors, Georgian, from 24 states and two countries are going to come and they're going to look at you for an example. What are they going to see? Are they going to see casual Christianity flirting with carnality? Or are they going to see some sold out, on fire, Holy Ghost believing IBC students? What are they going to see? God, search my heart. God, where are my eyes? Am I looking in the world or are my eyes set on you? There's a story I want to tell you, and I, I apologize if I have a tough time telling it because it has severely impacted my life. I had a hero. It was a man. He, he, he was a preacher. He helped out my church. He came, he came to all my sporting events. He, he, we had a relationship. He, I, I looked up to him. I wanted to be just like him. Oh, and oh, Brother Rodebush, he could preach. He preached revivals on the weekend where people would get the Holy Ghost. He was dedicated. He was anointed. But somewhere along the line, the world caught his gaze. And I can take you to the spot at my house where he looked my pastor in the eye and said, I don't know how I can tell my daughter she can and can't cut her hair. I don't know how I can tell my daughter she can't live a holiness lifestyle. That's where it all started. Just one glance. I don't know how I can do this, but you know what? I'm going to do everything else. We're still going to speak in tongues. We're still going to go to church on Sunday. We're still going to live in accordance to God's word. But just this one thing, I'm going to compromise and my life is going to be the same. I look back at his life now and it's in shambles. You want to know how far he's gone? He went from not being able to tell his daughter that she couldn't cut her hair to taking her because she was underage to get her first tattoo. He went from influencing and being a worshiper to where his son would be the first one to clap, the, clap his hands and walk around and give God praise to thinking about buying him tobacco so that he could fit in with the baseball team. Don't be deceived. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Don't be deceived. One look, one second look, one wrong thing in your life can be turned. How many more examples do we have to look at? I invite you right now just to search ourselves. I'm not accusing anybody right now of backsliding. I'm not accusing anybody right now of compromising holiness. But where are my eyes? What is capturing the attention of my mind that is for sure going to capture my heart? Oh, why don't we just let God move and minister right now? Why don't we just let him move and do what he wants to do in our hearts and in our mind? Oh, God, touch me. Help me to see things the way you see them. God, search me. God, reveal any carnality. Reveal any fleshliness, God, that can destroy the ministry. You got me.
The new Indiana Bible College album, At the Cross, will be available April 11th, 2018. Indiana Bible College, training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today.